Okay, so um, we're going to turn to James chapter 1, and this morning I'm going to be reading from the J.B. Phillips translation, uh, I've not used that one in a long time, um, but just as I was looking at this morning's subject, um, I really like the way that J.B. Phillips, uh, to his, his paraphrase of it, his translation. Uh, so we're going to read from James chapter 1, uh, verse 2. And it's going to come up on the screen as well, just because it is a kind of unusual translation. And you may not have read this particular one before. And the subject today is endurance. I don't know about you, but I need to hear about the subject of endurance. I need to hear what God's Word says to me about endurance in difficult situations. And this is what it says. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers and sisters, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them. Now, there's a thing. Welcoming trials and temptations into your life. This is what James is saying here. How many people in the room today welcome trials and temptations into your life? Anybody? It's really difficult, isn't it? We don't like hardship. We don't like going through difficulties. And yet James is saying to us us here to welcome them, not to resent them as intruders. They're in our lives. They come and they go. This is what it says. Realize they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed And you will find you have become men and women of mature character with the right sort of independence. I like the way that it phrases that. When we endure trials and temptations, something happens within us. We change. And it says here that we mature in character and we have the right sort of independence. I don't think we were designed to be independent as much as we would like to think so. We are inter dependent. We depend on one another. And so there's that right sort of dependence where we can stand on our own two feet as Christians, but we still are interdependent upon each other and most certainly upon God. And if in the process any of you does not know how to meet any, any particular problem, he has, uh, sorry, he has only to ask God who gives generously to all men without making them feel foolish or guilty, and he may be quite sure that the necessary wisdom will be given him. So when we face trials and temptations, we're encouraged to pray and ask God for wisdom. But he must ask in sincere faith, without secret doubts as to whether he really wants God's help or not. The man who trusts God Uh, But with inward reservations is like a wave of the sea carried forward by the wind one moment and then driven back the next. That sort of man cannot hope to receive anything from God and the life of a man of divided loyalty will reveal instability at every turn. And it's encouraging us when we come and approach God to have faith in our hearts, not to be like a, a wave which you can imagine the wave coming up the shore And then the wave goes back down the shore and the wind keeps working and the waves keep working and it keeps going on. And all it produces is instability. The sands move, the beaches move when that happens. Well, it's like that with our faith. 
if we're up one minute, then down the next minute, then up the next minute, then down the next minute, there's that instability in our lives. God is looking for a continual faith. Do you know, I think it would be better if we find a level, even if it is at a lower level than you think you should be at, but be consistent in your faith. Rather than one minute you're praising God and giving it all day because you're feeling great, and then the next minute you're down in the dumps because something's happened, find a place to walk where you can have that constant faith. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, and I like this as well, but be, uh, sorry, be patient, my brothers, as you wait for the Lord to come. Look at the, for, the farmer quietly awaiting his precious harvest. See how he has to possess his soul in patience till the land has had the early and late rains. And there was something about that little phrase as I read it. The farmer, see how he has to possess his soul in patience. Possessing our souls in patience. Not up one minute and down the next, but possessing our souls in patience and having that constant walk of faith. That walk of faith will develop and grow. If we're prepared even to walk at a lower level in faith than we think we should be, it will begin to grow one thing on top of the other, bit by bit by bit. And sometimes it's not until we look back that we realize, actually, our faith has grown. We've just planted some seeds yesterday. We wait patiently for those seeds to grow. They need light. They need warmth. They need protection from the frost. And so they're sitting in a room where there's lots of light, and we wait, and we look at the soil. And you know how exciting it is when you begin to see little shoots pop out of the soil. And so it is in our circumstances in life. We might think that they're never going to come to an end, but they will come to an end. Life's circumstances change. Troubles come and troubles go. And it goes on to say here, so must you be patient, resting your hearts on the ultimate certainty. The Lord's coming is very near. And I think he's talking about the second coming when Jesus will come back again. But perhaps we can look at it as well in our circumstances because sometimes in our circumstances we think that God isn't listening. We wonder where God is. But the ultimate certainty is that God is near. The Bible tells us he's with us at all times. I'm not even getting to the message yet. I'm just reading the verse. Don't make complaints against each other in the meantime, my brothers. You may be the one at fault yourself. The judge himself is already at the door. For our example of the patient endurance of suffering, we can take the prophets who have spoken in the Lord's name. Remember that it is usually those who have patiently endured to whom we accord the word blessed. You know what it's like when you see somebody that endures trials patiently. We look at those people and we admire those people and we think, wow, I wish I could be like that in the midst of difficulties and troubles. We call them blessed. We call them happy. You have heard of Job's patient endurance and how God dealt with him in the end. And therefore you have seen that the Lord is merciful and full of understanding pity for us men. These are incredible words, and there's so much in them that we can take from and learn. 
It, it talks here about Job. Um, and in the beginning of the book of Job, we read about Job's distress. Job was a wealthy man. He had family. He had uh, herbs, he had land, he had everything that anybody could ever ask for. In fact, as, as we read the account, he was probably the most wealthy man of his time, the most blessed man of his time. And yet in chapters 1 to 3, we read of this distress that comes upon him. His seven, daughters, uh, seven sons and his three daughters are killed in an accident, as are his servants, his livestock, even his health is affected. He loses everything. And not once... In the middle of all this, does he speak out against God? I think it's absolutely incredible to read this story. And then his friends come along to comfort him. We've heard that phrase, you're a Job's comforter. That wee man from Salvation Salvation Army. Sorry, Jeanette. That wee man from Dad's Army again. (laughs) Yeah, we're doomed, you know. It's like, Job, what have you been up to? You know, you must have sinned against God. Look at the state you're in. And Job comes back with his defense time and time again. And this is what the Bible says. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. This is the type of man that we're talking about. And yet he went through difficulties. And in the end, we read that Job is delivered from all his troubles. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life. He had 14,000 sheep. 14,000 sheep! 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. What a rich man. There's a, a man who was on one of the Ray Mears videos in Sweden. And the question was asked of him, how many reindeer do you have? He said, that would be like me asking you how much money you've got in the bank. Right? This is Job's wealth. It's in his livestock. It's in what he would then pass on as an inheritance to his seven sons and three daughters. The seven sons and three daughters were replaced. He had new sons and daughters, and we've had conversations about that. They could never replace the old ones. But nevertheless, Job was blessed. Job was patient through suffering and trial. And we can see in Job's life that endurance. What does it mean to endure? It means to suffer something painful or difficult, patiently. Endurance is the ability to endure an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. It's that continuance, that constancy in our lives amidst difficulties. In the Bible, it's kind of rendered endure, but we can read it as patience, patient waiting, patient continuance, enduring, and, and just phrases like to remain under, to, 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 to keep ourselves under whatever is happening, and also to hold out, to be constant in the things that we're experiencing. Know that God is there and God is going to bring deliverance for us. Now, some examples of endurance. I'm going to put a picture up. Right? These are guys who are trying to get into the SAS, Dave. Right? You've, you've probably done some of this stuff with your, your pack. And uh, out of 125 candidates, uh, um, sorry, most of them fail. Only a handful get in. And uh, it's a grueling process of endurance. And it's, their training starts off with what they call endurance. Um, and they have to 
walk over hills and mountains in South Wales. They have to navigate and they're given no direction, no encouragement, and they're there on their own. And the final thing is to do a 40-mile trek carrying a 55-pound pack on your back, and you have to do it in 24 hours. No encouragement, no criticism, just left on their own to go on with it and to do it. It's called endurance. And I just think I'd be lucky to do 10 miles with a 55-pound pack on my back without somebody geeing me on and giving me encouragement. Another example of endurance. This, this really impresses me. Um, you've probably all heard of this guy here, Chris Hoy, Sir Chris Hoy now. And uh, he talks, I remember listening to him talking about the training that they went through for, um, for the Olympics. And one of the things that they, they have to do is to, to start cycling a bike from nothing. And you can see the size of the guy's thighs, yeah? I mean, I've got quite a big waist, but his thighs are probably bigger than my waist. Um, and he talks about how they train and how they, they cycle and cycle and cycle at full blast until they cycle no more and fall off the bike. There's nothing left. They endure through the pain. They endure through the lactic acid kicking in. They endure through all of that. And they go so far that they actually can't go anymore. They physically just fall off the bike. And that's what allows them to be able to go into competition and to succeed and to be an Olympic medal winner. And this is some of his training tips. Um, we're going to put them up. Every day counts. And this is what he says. You knew that every day counted and that the medals were not won on the night, but in the years beforehand. That continual focus every single day on the goal. He talks about getting your position right. The, the way the saddle's positioned, the height, the handlebars, and all of that. Tim, you'll know all about this. You're a cyclist. Um, so that you get the most out of the bike with the level of fitness that you have. Get yourself positioned right. Train for what you want to improve. Don't waste time on what's not going to be of benefit. Write down your training plan. Stop and think about what you're trying to achieve. And then lastly, he talks about buddying up. Oops. Something's happened there. There we go. Come on. I was getting too excited there. And buddying up, it makes me think about the power of encouragement, the power of accountability as well. Um, and some of these things that he talks about are things which are common in one sense to us all, and we can apply them in different ways. And I want to just stop and think about what helps us to be able to endure. And I think it's our own will. It's what is inside of us. You know, we talked and we sung in that song this morning, Calvary has covered it all. You know, God has accomplished everything for us that we need to in order to have a relationship with him. But the, there can be a danger in us becoming passive in our Christian faith and thinking it's all about God, it's all about what he's done, and it is, but we have to take responsibility for ourselves as well. We can't become passive in our Christian faith. Um, I'm going to 
skip on and miss a few bits just for the sake of time. And uh, just think about the trials that we endure in life. And Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I don't know if you remember that little video from a couple of weeks ago. Um, Ed Dobson was talking about being grateful. And he talked, in the mor- he talked about how he gets up in the morning and he says, thank you, God, for waking me up this morning. And there's one of the things which he said that really stuck in my mind. He says, I don't give God thanks for the problems. I give God thanks in the problems. And I found that really, really moving to think about how that man has endured incredible suffering. Trials come and trials go. For some of us, trials come and trials stay a long, long time. When it's problems with health or other things, trials come and those trials stay. And we need to learn how to endure through all sorts of trials. Winston Churchill said this, Never give in. Never, 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 in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honour and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We can take that and we can apply it in a different way because we realise that we have a spiritual enemy, an enemy who is out to steal and to kill and destroy, John 10.10. Everybody will know that verse if you don't know it already. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. Sometimes it can appear to be overwhelming, the power of the enemy against us. And this is what the Bible says. Jesus is talking to his disciples. The situation here is the Last Supper. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. There are trials and temptations which are common to all people. It can be your health. It can be grief. It can be loss. It can be poverty. It can be opposition, which includes bullying and abuse. It can be spiritual attacks. Even people who are not Christians experience spiritual attacks. Because... The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy everybody. But we also have specific trials because of our faith. And often because we're going against the grain, perhaps the grain of what society is telling us we should be and we should believe. The same was true of Daniel in his day. Daniel and his friends had to make choices about how they would respond in the difficulties that they faced. They had to go against the grain of popular culture. They had to go against the grain of the beliefs of the time. In fact, they were even commanded to bow down before this big massive statue and to worship it. When the music played, everybody bowed down. But these guys didn't bow down. And they were pulled up before the king because of it. And I'll never forget reading what they said, that God was for them and God could deliver them. But even if he didn't, even if he didn't, they still wouldn't bow down. There's something about that decision that they make themselves 
They know their God, but they're the ones making the decision, not somebody else. And this is what I'm trying to get at with this whole thing of endurance and our faith. We need to take responsibility for the decisions that we are making day in and day out. It's a daily thing. Every day counts, Chris Hoy said. And so we can see from the Bible many, many examples of how we should live our lives, of how we can best live our lives. And there's just a few keys that I want to try and bring out of the scriptures as we think about how to endure. And the first one is this, it's to be faithful in the small things. Faithful in the small things because every day counts. It's a general principle in life that we start off small and work our way up, or most people do. All the time we're being stretched and we find ourselves getting to a place where we think, I'm just starting to get the hang of this. I now know what's going on and I know how to handle the things which are going on around me. Think about yourself being in a job. It's like, I've just mastered it. And as soon as you master it, something else comes along and you go, I thought about that. How do I deal with that? Or you get a promotion and you're into a new level of operation and you think, I don't know what I'm doing again. I'm back to being incompetent. (laughs) We start off small and we build up and we build up and we build up. But the problem is sometimes when we stop building up that we begin to settle down. I worked beside guys who were quite happy doing what they were doing. They didn't want to progress. They didn't, want, they didn't have any ambition to, to, to progress and, and learning new things or doing new things. They're like, I come here to work. I don't come here for a hard time. I just want to come in and do my job and go back out and have an easy life. There's that kind of whole thing about settling down in the things that we're doing, which I can understand, but it can be an unhealthy thing as well. But let me say when it comes to our Christian faith, God does not want us to settle down in our faith. We think, oh, I've just, I've just started to get the hang of this Christianity malarkey. And then something else comes along and you go, I don't know what I'm doing again. What does James tell us to do? He tells us to pray and to ask God for wisdom, who will give us wisdom without us feeling stupid or guilty or any of those types of things. But we need to come before him in sincere faith. The Bible talks about the shrewd manager. Um, It's a story which you can read in Luke chapter 16. And this is what it says. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Being faithful in the small things. What has God entrusted you with at this point in time? Don't compare yourself to somebody else and think, I wish I was like that person. They're such a mature Christian and they know the Bible so well. Don't compare yourself to that person. If you want to compare yourself to somebody, compare yourself to Jesus, okay? And that puts us all in the same place because he's perfect and none of us are. So don't compare yourself to somebody else. But in the place where you are, you might think my faith is very small, but are you being faithful with the things that you do know, the things that you do understand, the things that God has called you to do? Chris Hoy said, every day counts. He said that the medal isn't won on the race night 
the medal is won in the years of practice that run up to it. All the small things, all the daily things, the choices, the disciplines that we have in our lives, or the lack of discipline sometimes. All these small things make a difference. And for some of us, we might think, I'm really limited to what I can do. And I'm going to quote Viktor Frankl again. I've used this quote before. And it talks about small things put into practice and how not everybody does the small things. He says this. I'll come up on the screen. We who lived in concentration camps remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may be few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. This is written by a man who was in a concentration camp who witnessed kindness in others and who clearly chose his attitude when he got up in the morning. In the video we saw a couple of weeks ago, it was, thank you, Lord, for wakening me up this morning. I don't know how much that's impacted you. It's greatly impacted me and the way that I wake up in the morning. You know, sometimes sometimes we wake up and we've had a, a really rough night and we've had bizarre dreams. I've had that a few times this week. And you wake up in the morning feeling absolute rubbish. And you just want to go back to your bed. And you've got to get up. You're like, oh, can't be bothered. Ah, I just want to go back and put the pillow over my head and go back to sleep and have a nice dream and wake up feeling better. But we need to wake up and choose our attitude. We need to wake up and choose to be positive that day. Choose to be people of faith that day and say, okay, I recognize the enemy's out to get me, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And apply scripture to ourselves. Begin small. Start off with the small things. Don't be embarrassed about the small things. Don't be embarrassed about small progresses. So we're thinking about faithful and the small things. Second point is to maintain a fervent vision. Getting our position right. What is a fervent vision? Ask a nationalist what a fervent vision is. It's Indy Ref 2. Okay? That's what a fervent vision is if you're a Scottish nationalist. Okay? Ask a football fan what their fervent vision is. It's the team winning the cup. It's the team winning the trophy. And you'll notice I didn't mention any team names. And when they win it, they say, we won. And I'm like, who won? Sorry, I thought it was the manager and the boys who were on the park and the people who support them that won. Right? What have the fans got to do with it? Well, I suppose they're financing it, I guess. Eh? They have a fervent vision. There's a passion. I've been to football matches. I've been to rugby matches. And there's a passion when you go to that type of event. When the goal gets scored or when the try gets scored and everybody's up at their seats. There's a passion. There's a fervency about it. And there's something about singing Flower of Scotland at the start of a rugby match. Wow, have you ever experienced that? Oh, my goodness. Oh, 
There's a fervency about it. There's an excitement about it. And yet we have something to be really excited about. We have a relationship with the risen Jesus. And he is our vision. He is the one that we're trying to become like. Not comparing ourselves to each other because we're doomed to fail if that's what we do. We're trying to be like Jesus. That's who our standard is. And that we're keeping our focus on him all the time. And as with the master, so with the servant. Yeah? Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. Just get used to it. There will be opposition in the world. But we need to position ourselves right. Once we have become a Christian, we need to realize that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Our real life, our whole life is seated with God, uh, with Jesus in Christ at at God's right hand. Sorry, I'm misquoting scripture here. Forgive me. Just a, a kind of crazy moment. But we're seated with God in Christ, in heavenly places. That's where our life, the Bible talks about our life being hidden in Christ. Our salvation is secure. But there's an ongoing process of aligning ourselves to that. The choices that we make day by day by day. And this is what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, it's a a kind of long passage and I'm going to put part of it up on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and I'm going to read from the J.B. Phillips again. It says that he has by his own action, this is God, given us everything that is necessary for living the truly good life and allowing us to know the one who has called us to him through his own glorious goodness. It is through him that God's greatest and most precious promises have become available to us men, making it possible for you to escape the inevitable disintegration that lust produces in the world and to share in God's essential nature. Who is it talking about? It's talking about Jesus who has accomplished for us all that needs to be accomplished. And then he goes on to say this, for this very reason you must do your utmost. He's accomplished his bit, but for this very reason we need to accomplish our bit. This is what it says. Do your utmost from your side and see that your faith carries with it real goodness of life. Your goodness must be accompanied by knowledge. Your knowledge by self-control. Your self-control by the ability to endure. Notice that it comes after self-control. It comes after that ability to possess our own spirits and to keep ourselves in the right place. Your endurance too must always be accompanied by a real trust in God that in turn must have uh, in it the quality of brotherliness and your brotherliness must lead on to Christian love. If you have these qualities existing and growing in you, just like the seeds that are about to pop up in the thing that were grown in the house, then it means that knowing our Lord Jesus Christ has not made your lives either complacent or unproductive. The man whose life fails to exhibit these qualities is short-sighted. He can no longer see the reason why he was cleansed from his former sins. 
Set your minds then on, uh, on endorsing by your conduct the fact that God has called you, uh, called and chosen you. If you go along these lines I have indicated above, there is no reason why you should stumble. Interesting. There's no reason why we should stumble. If we put this into practice, if we do what we need to do from our side, then there's no reason why we should stumble. And if you have lived the sort of life I have, I have recommended, God will open wide to you the gates of the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. There's something about keeping going. There's something about having that vision of who Jesus is and applying that to our life. And then the third point is that we're holding on to a future hope. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 Verses 24 and 25 says this. And we can maybe picture Chris Hoy on his bike again. In a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. And Chris Hoy's case is because of the years of practice. It's because of the years of practicing on that bike until he gets to the point where he can't stay on the bike any longer and falls off. But we're all aiming for a prize. We're all aiming for a prize as we stand before God. So run in a way that will get you the prize. All who take part in the games train hard. They do it to get a crown that will not last. And gold medals in the Olympics will not last. Great human achievements and inspiring human achievements. But they won't last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. A crown that will last forever. And it's something that we're all aiming for. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Holding on to that future hope despite what today might be throwing at us. And just to go back to G.B. Phillips, where he talks about possessing our souls in patience till the land has had the early and late rains. So must you be patient, resting your hearts on the ultimate certainty. The Lord's coming is very near. We all experience difficulties. We experience troubles. But troubles come and troubles go. We need to hold on to the promises of God. And whether that is generally the promises that we read in Scripture, or specifically things which God has said into your life. We need to hold on to those promises. Last point, I promise, is to stay in fellowship. What did Chris Hoy say? He talked about buddying up. Well, we can buddy up with each other. Fellowship is important. But we know that we have a friend who's closer than a brother. And we can buddy up with God. God has designed us to live in community. Where it talks in verse 1 of James about having this uh, appropriate um, independence. Let me go back and I'll read it again. Flicking back notes. See if I can find it. The right sort of independence. That's what it talked about. There's something about us that is interdependent. We depend on each other. And Hebrews 
chapter 10, verse 25, says this, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, when I talked about this SAS endurance aspect to the training, it says very specifically that they're neither given encouragement nor criticism. Nobody says a word. They're just left to go on with it. They need to navigate their way through the hills on their own. No encouragement. But we have the opportunity to encourage one another, to spur each other on, to get alongside each other and to give each other that little boost when we need it. You know, sometimes life just does get on top of us. It's like a, you know, a 40-mile hike with a big rucksack on your back. And sometimes you think, I just want to stop. I just want to put this thing down. And sometimes, sometimes somebody comes along and they take that rucksack off of you and they put it on themselves and say, I'll walk with you for a while. And I'll carry your burden for a while. And that can be getting alongside somebody, praying with somebody, having a coffee with somebody, just listening to somebody. And just taking time to walk with them for a while. We have fellowship, and we have it for a reason. You've probably all heard the story about the coal that pops out of the fire. If you've ever had a coal fire, I love sitting in front of a live fire, a real fire. And if you take the coal, one of the coals, you take it out and you put it on the, man, on the what do you call it, fireplace thing. Right? You put it in the fireplace. What happens to the coal that comes out of the fire? It stops glowing red and begins to cool down, doesn't it? As soon as you take that coal and put it back in the fire again, away it goes, glowing red, doing what it's supposed to be doing, creating heat, light, energy for us. And it's like that in our Christian lives. It says here not to give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another. We come together in all sorts of ways to encourage each other. And I think Sunday is important. I'm 49 years old and I've been going to church every Sunday, pretty much since I was that age, like like that age, okay? And it's part of, it's part of what we do. And there's a danger in it becoming habit and ritual. Let me state that. You know, if it's just what we do on a Sunday, then and there's no life and there's no connection and there's no connection with God or connection with others, then we need to stop and think about that. But there's something important about coming together to encourage one another. But we're not just coming to encourage one another, we're coming to worship God together. And there's something about that when that sound of praise rises and we're beginning to worship God, it encourages us. It encourages us when we're feeling down. When we've come into church and we're just not feeling like being in church, that's when we need to be in church. So hopefully we can think about encouraging these things in ourselves, encouraging ourselves and each other to endure. I know that there's lots of people facing challenges in this church. Some are physical, some are spiritual, some are emotional. But in the midst of all our trials, we need to remember that it's not just you and it's not just all about you. 
There are other people going through the same challenges. Some people are going through worse challenges than you are. I wonder, will we be the person who takes our last piece of bread and gives it to somebody else who's in need? What kind of people? What kind of people does God want us to be? These were people in a concentration camp who had nothing, everything taken from them, even their dignity. But the last thing that couldn't be taken was their ability to choose their own attitude. What kind of attitude will we adopt? Their testimony challenges me. I read scripture and there's testimony after testimony that challenges me. What sort of attitude will I adopt? Will it be one of gratitude? Will it be one of saying, thank you for waking me up this morning? Another day to praise you. Let's be faithful in the small things. Let's maintain a fervency in our vision. Let's hold on to that future hope that we have. Let's remind ourselves of that. We need to encourage ourselves, remind ourselves, and let us remember that fellowship is important. We need to keep coming together to encourage one another. Let's just pray. Maybe the musicians want to make their way back up as well. Father, we pray that you would allow the truths in your word to sink deep into our hearts. Father, we pray that as we allow your truth to enter our hearts, that it would produce life and that it would produce a fruitful harvest in our lives. And Father, we know that there are those who are going through difficulties and trials at the moment. And Father, very often in in a fellowship like this, there is someone Uh, many people who are going through trials and temptations and difficulties. Father, we pray that you'd help us to endure under trial. Father, we pray that you'd give us the wisdom that we need. And Father, we pray that you would continue to show yourself to us. Just a little verse from Isaiah 41. It came into my inbox this morning and it just captured my attention. And this is what it says. For I am the Lord your God. Isaiah 41 verse 13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. And Father, if that's a word for somebody today, I pray that you just plant that deep within their hearts. Father, that there would be that recognition that you are God and that you take hold of their right hand and that you say to them, Don't be afraid, for I will help you. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you that you walk with us through difficulties and trials. And Father, we pray that we would be the type of people who hold our heads high as we walk through difficulties, as we endure difficult times, as we endure times of testing, times of trial, times of temptation. Father, that we might come out the other side, knowing that we have changed, that we have grown, and that we have become more mature in the process. Father, help us to be patient in the times when we need that patience in difficult circumstances. And Father, we we just think of those who are experiencing such physical difficulties at the moment. And Lord, we pray that you bring deliverance for them. Father, to endure under test and trial, but Father, to bring deliverance, just as you brought deliverance to Job. 
Lord, we pray that you come by your Spirit and bring deliverance. Father, that you bring miracles where we need miracles. Father, that you bring hope where there needs to be hope. Father, that you just bring a fervency of vision where that vision has begun to become quiet and has begun to settle down. Father, that we would see Jesus. Father, that we would see him in a fresh way. And so, Lord, we ask that you just come and that you take this word and that you would apply it to our hearts. Father, that everything which is not of you would be forgotten. But Father, those things which your Holy Spirit is speaking into our hearts, Lord, that we would remember them long after today has gone. Father, may they be fruitful in our lives. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.